Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text this morning is from Matthew, the fourth chapter, when he writes that Jesus came and dwelt in Capernaum, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Zebulun and Naphtali by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region of the shadow of death, light has dawned. And from that time, Jesus began to preach. This is our text. Dear friends, Zebulun and Naphtali, in the way of the sea, and beyond the Jordan, in Galilee of the Gentiles, these five places... They seem quite a long way from Cupertino and from our Bay Area. And they are. To be near exact, 7,300 miles away they are. Quite a long ways from here. And their historic and geographic significance is, is largely distant now from us too. It's a thing of the past. 2,000 years ago though, where these five regions and, and byways converged, it was in many ways the center of the world. The great trade routes of imperial commerce heading north from Egypt and southward from Damascus and over from Syria and Jerusalem, these great trade routes all intersected right here where Zebulun and Naphtali and the Nether Jordan and Galilee of the Gentiles came together to form in part this way by the sea of Galilee. It was in many ways a crossroads of the world. And so, in that respect, I suppose that Zebulun and Naphtali and all the rest, they don't seem so distant to us here and now. Because when it comes to the global economy, our Bay Area is a crossroads second to none. Flights. Airline flights filled with businessmen and women leave hourly from every major airport on all sides of the bay, bound for exotic and far-off places abroad. And these planes take off and they head out over merchant trading ships, sailing in through the Golden Gate, coming from those very same far-off places. They're coming to transfer their goods onto trucks, Trucks that will, by the hundreds, carry those goods from San Francisco and Oakland eastward on mighty I-80, the Mississippi of the automobile, or they'll bear them north and south on the 101 or on I-5. You see, right here where we dwell, it's the hub of some of the great trade routes of the modern day. And so in that respect, I think we're a lot closer perhaps to Zebulun and and Naphtali in the way by the sea than at first we might have imagined. But certainly, certainly and without a doubt, we're far more alike in another respect. And it has everything to do with, everything to do with where we, as Isaiah puts it, where we dwell. Like them, we're a people. A people who dwelt in darkness, a collective whole a people who have dwelt in darkness, were those individual persons who dwelt in the region of the shadow of death. That's what Scripture tells us of us. 
And a close look at the words of the holy writer, they show us just how true that is. He uses, you see, the word, the shadow of death. And it's interesting to note that the definition of this particular word, shadow, in the original language, of course, indicates to us a shade caused by the blocking of light, but more a shady image that's cast by an object in the form of that object. So, for instance, a shadow of a tree casts the image in the form of a tree. It seems plain enough. But now recall what image is cast over those people who have been situated in the darkness. Remember what Isaiah says? It's the shadow of death. The shadow of death. In our lives, think about how many ways that shadow casts its deathly form and its deathly figure over our lives and over your life in particular. Certainly from the beginning, even from the womb, as Scripture tells us, your world began in the shade of, of darkness, in sin's shadow. As Scripture tells us that by birth and by nature we are conceived in sin, dead in trespasses in sin. But even after God-given faith, think of all the forms that death's shadow takes in your life. Sometimes it's in the shape of sickness. One that's darkened your prospects. You've made plans, maybe plans for the week, but maybe big plans for life. And these plans did not include the bout with your current illness. Perhaps the shadow is casket-shaped, as the recent weeks or even months have been filled with and have been lived in the long and the dark shadow of death. Death doing its very worst to these bodies of ours, and you've been through the pains of a loved one dying. And now you face life without him or without her. Or maybe now the bright mind of a father or a mother or a spouse has grown cloudy and confused. Maybe the shadow is in the shape of a wedding ring, once a reminder of commitment and love, but, but maybe in more recent days it reminds you, you more of a, a marriage that's struggling to stay alive, far more than it reminds you of one that is alive and well. You see the reach and the range of sin's effect in our lives, our sin's effects. It's long, isn't it? And the shadow that death casts in all of its forms, it's dark. A people we are, collectively. And persons we are individually, no different than Zebulun and Naphtali and all the rest. We are that people who walked and who dwelt in darkness, we are those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death. There to fulfill what was written of old, there the light of life, Christ Jesus, he settled in Capernaum, in the midst of Zebulun and Naphtali. He made his dwelling in the midst of darkened lives. 
From that time on then, how would you suppose that he would go about casting the rays, the brilliant rays of his light? How would you suppose? Certainly it would be miraculous, no doubt. Certainly it would be unmistakable, no doubt. It would be indeed as impressive as the Son of God, no doubt. How would he begin to shine in the darkness? Our text tells us how he did. Having situated himself there in that region, in the midst of those darkened lives, from that time, Jesus began to preach. Preach. There's nothing spectacular about that. Certainly we would have expected more. It's too ordinary preaching. And besides, we live in a world where talk is too often cheap. But from that time on, to spread the light of life, Jesus began to preach. In his infinite wisdom there and then, Jesus began to disperse sin's darkness. And he began to preach and he still does lighten the world in that very same way. Certainly preachers take it for granted. Maybe more than their hearers. But let none of us forget the divine design of this preaching and hearing dynamic that God has instituted. In fact, the Lord thought it so perfect a creation of his that he saw no reason at all to build a better mousetrap. He saw no reason to build a better conduit of, of shedding his life light, just as Christ did preach. So would those called servants to come after him, would, they would preach too. God would send them to preach. Paul, the preacher, remember what he told us in the epistle reading for today? He said, I, Paul, was sent to preach the gospel. But this same preacher Paul, on another occasion, in the book of Romans, reminds us that this preaching and hearing dynamic, it's, it's God's design. Remember what he says? He says, how then shall they call upon him in faith whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? For faith comes by hearing, he says. My friends today... Right here and right now, just as it is, each Sunday that God's people gather to listen and to preach and to take part in that dynamic right here again today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing and in this preaching. The preaching and the hearing and the believing, all of it by God's design, by his perfect design. Let's never let the everyday nature of it, the routine nature of it, undo for us what's really the extraordinary nature of this. In many ways, I suppose, preaching in that way is like the dawn. Like the dawn, when the morning light begins to illumine another day. That in itself is indeed an extraordinary event, isn't it? God himself handcrafted the dawn. With it, at creation, he was very well pleased. And true enough, sometimes we do notice the divinely crafted nature of the dawn and of morning. And it's true that sometimes we're quite moved by it. But quite honestly, don't we more often than not miss the fact that God is indeed at work in the dawn every morning? 
It happened so often and so faithfully that most days we're far more distracted by the other things. Getting out of bed. Getting ready for work. Getting breakfast for the kids. Still trying to get out of bed. Sometimes we sleep through the dawn. But it's so faithful and so subtle and gentle. And so reliably dawn's light fills our world. And isn't that so often like this routine event of preaching and hearing? Sometimes we're moved by it noticeably, but often we don't even notice God subtly at work through it. Because it is so normal and so routine and so reliably here, Sunday after Sunday, just like the dawn is there reliably day after day. So often preachers and hearers both, we don't notice God at work in it, filling the world with the rays of His light. With this in mind, it's interesting to, to revisit that, those phrases Isaiah uses from our text. Listen to what he says. Upon us who sat in the realm of the, the shadow of death, upon them the light has dawned. It has dawned. Each sunrise is a bit different. Just like each sermon preached and heard. But my friends, though each sunrise be just a little different than the last, each and every one, and in each and every case, the glory of the morning always finds its source in the sun. And that's just how the Holy Spirit has purposed preaching as well. Its glory, too, is always found and can be traced back to the Son, God's Son. And His glory is in the cross. Because that's where He achieved what the heights of human achievement could never, ever approach. On the cross, on the cross, quite simply, profoundly, and so beautifully, by offering Himself, the Holy Son of God, Christ Jesus, made atonement for your sin. He made atonement for your sins. All of those things that you've done, and all of those you've left undone, and you know them well, the things I've done and left undone, all of these things... He made atonement for. But recall in his own preaching, it's what he said he would do. In our preaching, it's what we proclaim he did do. Upon a criminal's cross and under the darkness of death's darkest shade, the Son of God never shined with such brilliant light. That's why, inspired by the Holy Spirit, St. Paul would lay down the template for every pulpit of light-filled preaching when he said this, We preach Christ and Him crucified. Christ and Him crucified, and he would even say, And I'm determined to know nothing else among you but that. Christ and Him crucified. And in the end, that's what the church is called to preach, and that's what the church is called to hear. 
the glory of God's Son in the story of his saving cross and resurrection. Dr. Kurt Marquardt, formerly of our own seminary in Fort Wayne, he's been here, some of you have met him and have heard him speak and have read his writings. Formerly of Fort Wayne, now of the saints in heaven above, once he he wrote this about what the church is and what the church is not. And therefore, what the church and her pulpits and purpose shall be. He said, the church is not a sector of earthly society or one of the, the resources of the community, along with the public library and the Kiwanis Club and the Red Cross. No, she is rather the beachhead of heaven on earth, conquering darkness with the light giving weapons of life, distributing and celebrating the supernatural saving riches of God. That's what she is. That's what she is. It's what will shine from her pulpits. It's what will propel her purpose. And to those who think the word of the cross more foolish than faith-building, Well, then St. Paul has one more thing to say to us today. He says, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is nothing short of the power of God. He made his home amid those whose lives are darkened by sin's shadow. And in their midst, Jesus began to preach. And he still does. He still does. The healing that you heard about at the end of the Gospel reading, the healing will in time follow. For where the light of the world dwells, there the shadow of death cannot forever remain. In heaven's time, that healing will come. But until then, The preaching and the hearing continues, preparing us for that day. And let's never then miss him at work in it, spreading his light through the proclamation of his cross. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.